You're listening to a podcast from STI. Hello, my name is Mark Lawton. I'm a consultant in sexual health and HIV at the Royal Liverpool Hospital. Um, and I'm joined by the co-authors of this editorial, uh, David Asbo um, and Mayura Nathan. Uh, David, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. I'm a consultant in HIV and sexual health at Chelsea Westminster in London. Uh, Mayura? I'm Mara Nathan, um, a consultant physician uh, in HIV and sexual health at the Homerton University Hospital. Great. So we've um, we just had this editorial published titled um, HPV Vaccination to Prevent Anal Cancer in Men Who Have Sex with Men. This follows a call for evidence from the, the JCVI um, about you know, looking at looking at the uh, benefit of doing doing so. Um, I think it'd be useful to start uh, just to, to introduce the, the subject. Really, um, obviously, over the, the recent years, the discovery of HPV-related malignancies has uh, led to the successful development of the preventative vaccines. Uh, there's two uh, currently on the market: Cervarix and Gardasil. The initial one being bivalent, and Gardasil being quadrivalent. Um, but MSM seem to be disproportionately affected by HPV-related cancer. Mayura, can you tell us a little bit about uh, how this is and why this might be? Uh, anal cancer is um, uncommon in the general population, and more women each year get anal cancer diagnosed than men. But this is not the case in men who have sex with men. The rates of anal cancer in HIV-negative um, gay men are anything between 5 to 15 times that of heterosexual men. In HIV-positive cases, the rates are much higher, about 80 times. A similar story is also true with uh, AIN, uh, the commonly assumed precursor to anal cancer. The rates are 5 in HIV-negative gay men and about 30% in HIV-positive MSM. The data that links AIN to anal cancer is still a bit limited. However, the consistent story is that about 10% of those with high-grade AIN develop cancer over a five-year period. Our treatment approaches, while effective for cancer, are not so effective for AIN disease. In the absence of screening, anal cancers can get diagnosed in advanced stages, and this affects survival of the patients. Do you think there's a, a specific biological reason that MSM are getting higher rates, or is it purely due to uh, increased number of partners and exposure from HPV? I, I think the, the, the data is consistent with um, high frequency of HPV um, detection um, in um, MSM. So uh, we know that 80% of um, anal cancers are related to HPV. So there is that association. So they're getting more HPV, which is then leading to more AIN and anal cancer. I think that is a logical conclusion. And one of the issues that we've had in the UK is with regard to the vaccination program that covers girls only. And we've been vaccinating girls for HPV since 2008. Uh, we started off with the bivalent vaccine Cervarix, which covered the high-risk types 16 and 18, 
and, and then moved to Gardasil last year. But Australia are a little bit ahead of us. Um, they've shown some data about the, the benefit of the vaccinating the girls, and I understand now have moved to, to boys. David, can you just summarise the data that we've seen from Australia and perhaps what we can expect to see in the UK um, now that we've moved across? Yeah, so the Australians are definitely in the forefront of research into this area, and obviously uh, a lot of the vaccine development occurred in Australia. So uh, there's, there's several now published studies which demonstrate really very clearly uh, the uh, efficacy and effectiveness of, uh, of a national vaccination program initially in girls. And these clearly show on a national level a dramatic uh, reduction in the presentation of warts so that... A, a young woman presenting with warts to a GU clinic in Australia now is actually becoming an almost rare phenomenon. So a couple of other interesting things, uh, really very interesting, that <coughs> uh, alongside of this reduction that has been seen in uh, young women has been a smaller but nevertheless very significant decline in young male patients presenting with warts. Uh, it is hypothesized, and I think there's good data to support this, that this is due to the herd immunity effect. So this is in heterosexuals. There has been a small decline in, uh, in men who have sex with men, uh, although this decline is not felt to be due to the impact of vaccination, but is actually in the way that the data has been collected. So the outcome, of, I mean, the conclusions of these studies are that there has been no corresponding decline in HPV presentations or wart presentations uh, amongst men who have sex with men. And obviously we've seen a very, um, you know, very early noticeable change in presentation of, of genital warts in these, in these groups. When, when might we see um, changes in the actual cancer rates? So obviously, you know, there can be a time lag. The sort of ecological studies looking at the rollout of vaccination have concentrated on those presenting with warts. You know, I mean, I think the, the pathogenesis natural history of, of high-risk HPV is well uh, well established, and I have personally no doubt that this will continue to impact on the sort of downstream effects of, of HPV infection in relation to cervical dysplasia and cervical cancer. But but not to relate to the to the MSM, which I guess is the the problem. But and, and Australia is now I gather um, rolled out the program to include boys. That's right. So they're again same age groups. I think twelve and thirteen uh, for the next. I'm not sure when it finishes, but there's also a catch up programs which presumably will expire once the good take up of vaccination across the country. And they've decided that it's cost effective to include boys in the vaccination program. Um, obviously, in the UK, we we aren't looking at that at the moment certainly and that's why we're trying to to push for the for the msm being vaccinated do you do you well i do i would like to come in on that because i yeah. mean i think obviously i mean this editorial really came about because we pulled together the evidence uh, that was existing for the committee on vaccine and immunization who are examining the this issue specifically in relation to msm clearly if if the argument is accepted that boys should be vaccinated and with the high uptake rates that we see in the UK, the question then about vaccinating MSM becomes redundant. So I, I do want to stress that this is only in the absence of a policy to universally vaccinate boys. And obviously most of the studies that have been done in terms of fixie were originally done looking at girls because that was their main focus, but there is good data to... Um 
to suggest its effectiveness amongst boys. Uh, there was a paper uh, published uh, reporting a large study of randomized placebo controlled trial of over 4,000 boys and men between the ages of 16 and 26, showing that uh, very high seroconversion rates, almost all subjects, over, I think it was over 97% seroconverted for HPV types by month seven. So um, we've obviously got good efficacy. That study did include uh, about 600 MSM. So we seem to have the data to support its use in boys and, 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 in, and also in MSM. But the studies also showed that uh, there was a reduction both in terms of external genital lesions, so genital warts, but also the, the anal intraepithelial neoplasia that we see associated with HPV. So the vaccine certainly seems to be effective in men. There's another study that looked at HIV-positive patients by um, Wilkin et al. in 2010, which with only a single-arm open-label trial, but across patients with a wide-ranging CD4 count right down to 144, there did seem to be uh, good seroconversion rates, well over sort of 98% uh, in all subtypes, which didn't seem to be related to the CD4 count or their nadir. And so even in HIV-positive patients, there seems to be a very immunological uh, vaccine. One of the other interesting points about the, uh, the studies did show that even if people had one or other type of uh, high-risk HPV, that they were still benefiting from the protection that they got from the other subtype that they, they weren't exposed to. And I think one of the problems with, with vaccinating MSM might be, have they already been exposed to HPV subtypes by the time they come to clinic? And obviously the ideal strategy would be to vaccinate all boys, but to vaccinate MSM before they acquire these strains of HPV. Um, do we have a, a feel for what proportion of, of young MSM have actually uh, that, that presented services that are unexposed to high-risk types, David? Do you uh, yeah, can I answer that? Because I mean, I think this is the absolute critical question. I don't, I, I don't think there's any argument that uh, there's a burden of disease. I don't I think there's any argument, although the natural history isn't as worked out. I mean, I, th I think it's certainly scientifically intuitive that that vaccination in uh, in those unexposed is likely to be an, an, an effective strategy. The critical question is where are we going to actually have, at what age are we going to have uh, young uh, self-identifying, self-disclosing uh, gay men and whether whether that's uh, early enough or whether it isn't. So just going back to the large randomised controlled trial, I think it is important to understand that although they looked at people post-sexual uh, uh, initiation of sexual activity, the entry criteria uh, only allowed those people with with one one to five uh, sexual partners. Um, and so, so I think it's it's in the small detail of these studies um, that, that I, I think we do need to pay attention to. So, you know, if we're going to offer vaccination to young MSM, uh, do we realistically think that we're going to have access to them, you know, at a time when you know they still are likely to be not exposed to the HPV? We get some data from the ISTDR. Uh, meeting that was in Vienna last month is actually, I think, a very good study from Marcus Chen in Melbourne. So they recruited 16 to 20-year-olds from community samples, so that's uh, young gay men attending clubs and saunas, etc. Although the prevalence of high-risk HPV types does start to rise, 
fairly quickly, particularly in those reporting uh, more than four sexual partners, uh, we, can, we can see that the presence of any HPV, even in that group, is still only about 15%. Yeah, I, the, the, the cost-effectiveness obviously varies by the, the age which we catch them, I suppose, and, and how exposed they are. We, we talk about the cost-effectiveness in, in the editorial, and I think that the figures were sort of um, $15,000 for those uh, vaccinating at the age of 12 compared to uh, $37,000, $38,000 for those who perhaps got 50%. Uh, 50% of whom would be exposed. So the, the encouraging people to attend at a younger age is going to be uh, beneficial for them, but you know improves the cost effectiveness of the program as well. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you look, I mean, again, we don't have very detailed information. But I mean, if you look at the raw data and the number of uh, MSM who attended a sexual health service, I think uh, in England and Wales. Uh, up to the age of 26, you know, it is still a substantial number. I think it's it, it's certainly. I, th- I think the figures were in the paper of something like 55 to 60,000. And I think it, the, the problem with the, the anal cancers and AIN is that it's not quite as straightforward as with the cervical cancer. We've obviously got a very effective cervical cancer program. Um, that identifies these early stages that we can then intervene, understand that. that process is not quite so straightforward, Mayor. Is that, is that right? Why couldn't we just do anal screening for our MSM? Yes, that is right. I mean, it's fraught with difficulties. Um, so if they do cervical screening um, with smears, um, if they have abnormal smears, they need to go to uh, a unit where they can be examined uh, thoroughly and diagnosed of CIN in order to treat it to prevent cervical cancer. So the problem is that we don't have many HRA or high-resolution endoscopy examinations trained clinicians across the UK. It will need a lot of time and resources to do this. There's also another difficulty, and that is to do with the anal cytology. I think the sensitivity of anal cytology is uh, not as good as cervical cytology. Um, there's also another aspect to this, and that relates to the treatment of AIN. There are a number of treatment approaches now, but we still need some evidence, a firm evidence to say that treating AIN actually prevents cancer. Um, so that is being worked on at the moment. So we, we will, it'll be some time before we get that information. But Even if we have HPV vaccination available for um, MSM, we still need to screen, I think, HIV-positive gay men and those with other immune deficiencies because they still will run the risk of anal cancer due to a number of other um, HPV types that are not covered by HPV vaccination. And I guess the other issue is our HIV cohort is... uh, is certainly aging, but includes a large number of people who would miss out on the HPV vaccine pro- program if it was introduced. So we've got a large bulk of people out there who who are already at risk of developing anal cancer. Absolutely, yes. So, so anoscopy is, is here for a while, certainly. <laughs> Afraid so. So as a Marie, we'd all really like to see the vaccination program being rolled out to all, all boys. Uh, in the absence of that, targeted vaccine program for MSM would certainly seem to be recommended by the data, but maybe we need to uh, 
continue with anal screening for perhaps the particularly high-risk groups, the HIV-positive, um, MSM, and the absence of a, a, a standard screening program for, for anal cancers, HPV really is going to be our best, best option. Yeah, Would that I be agree. fair to say? I'd agree with that, yeah. Does anybody else have any um, comments they'd like to make or issues we'd like to talk about in this, David? I'm encouraged by the fact that uh, certainly in the UK uh, we've got quadrivalent vaccine available. I, I think that offers significant advantages. Uh, it, I think it's been brilliant that um, what, what we've seen in clinical trials is translated and to uh, benefit at a population level, and I think we just uh, it would be it would be fantastic to see that benefit extended to a group who currently uh, has no access to that. And are not benefiting, benefiting or likely to benefit from the herd immunity. Right. Correct. Yeah. Meera, um, do you have any uh, additional points or anything you'd like to mention? Um, I'm encouraged by the number of groups um, in the community now taking this uh, on as an important prevention um, effort. So I think in the Mediterranean there was a, a fundraising event that happened a few days ago, and so there are charities working on this, um, apart from Terence Egan's Trust. So I think yeah, I'm encouraged to see that there is uh, mass mobility on this uh, topic, and uh, I, I hope that um, that people will um, address the issue in terms of the need of vaccine for um, for gay men and particularly um, young gay men. I think it's also nice to see awareness is increasing. I'm still, um, you know, starting to get patients coming in now, sort of asking about it or um, a bit more information and things like that. So there seems to be some filtering down into the actual the patient's awareness of the vaccine and, and perhaps they can. Um, you know, the community groups can, can help add some sort of um, push behind introduction of a programme. agree. So this podcast was a discussion regarding the article that was published in STI this month. Uh, it's available online. We think it's an important topic and we do hope that uh, it will stimulate some conversation. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, go to podcasts.bmj.com.